Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, April 12th, and today we are talking to Bill Cohan about Elon Musk and his corporate hostage situation at Twitter. First he was on the board, now he's off the board. And Bill explains why being off the board might actually be Twitter's worst nightmare. And later, Puck's very own Alex Bigler stops by to give us a peek behind the curtain of just what we're building here. And she explains what Fritz is exactly. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan. How you doing, man? I'm good. Great to be here again. Thank you. Yeah, well, speaking of, again, the last time we talked, we were talking about Elon Musk and Twitter, which was just last week. <laughs> and a lot has happened in the interim between when news broke that Elon had taken 9.3% of Twitter. Uh, he was invited onto the board of Twitter, which a lot of people thought he would be like a Trojan horse and you know try to take over the company. Then he left Twitter. Why did he leave the board after signing on to be on the board so quickly. Do you have any idea? Well, of course, Peter, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk to me or check with me, but uh, <laughs> first of all, he was, he bought uh, beginning in January. Uh-huh. He bought 9.1% uh, of Twitter, uh, making him the largest shareholder, but not by much Vanguard, the, Money management firm also owns around, you know, nine percent too, and Morgan Stanley probably on behalf of its clients owns about eight point eight, and BlackRock, the big uh, investment advisor, owns like six or seven percent. So I think Elon probably bought just enough to become the biggest investor. And he did that starting at the end of January and over the course of the next few months in like 43 trading days. And then he botched the disclosure of it. He was supposed to disclose it more quickly than he did. And he botched the form that he was supposed to disclose it on. You'd think that the world richest guy would get those couple of things right. He fixed the form problem 
but now he's being sued for failing to disclose in a timely fashion. The argument being that if he had disclosed when he should have, other investors would have made more money. So as a result of him being the largest Twitter shareholder, he was offered a seat on the Twitter board, which he accepted in return for agreeing not to increase his stake beyond 14.9%. So basically, the Twitter board said, all right, we'll offer you a board seat and we'll put you in a box and you'll be on the board. You'll be a fiduciary. You'll be one of 12 members of the board and you'll be a fiduciary to other shareholders, which basically means you'll be kind of inside the tent, but you're one of 12 votes on the board. The board can influence management. You know, it's always a weird sort of symbiotic relationship between management and the board. So, you know, how much they can actually, how much one board member, one angry man can influence a management team uh, remain to be seen. So he must have thought about that for a few days and decided, you know, what the hell do I need that for? And said, forget it. Uh, Thank you for your offer, but I'm going to pass on that. I'll do whatever I want now. He could buy a lot more and then threaten to sell, which frankly would drive the stock down. I mean, he could do, he could try to take the company private. He can disparage the company, which probably he couldn't do if he were on the board. I mean, he could, but it would be really tasteless. But, you know, he's, of course, pretty tasteless. So now he's free to do what he wants. You wrote a piece about all this called the Elon Twitter corporate hostage negotiation this week. And before you wrote this, I I didn't totally um, agree with one sentiment in this piece, which is that he's better inside the company and on the board than outside because the immediate reception to him joining the board was, oh man, like Twitter CEO has to watch his back. Elon is going to try to take over the company from the inside, like some kind of metastasizing virus. But once you outline more of these details that they were trying to put him into a box in terms of how much uh, ownership he could have, yeah, he's just free to shitpost about Twitter as much as he wants. He could be an activist investor. Yeah. They were trying to put him in a box and they were trying to make the best of a bad situation. This guy is, uh, you know, an unguided missile. (laughs) Now it's the worst possible outcome. Now he's raised the stock price. He's got himself the center of attention again. You know, now, as I said, you know, they should be on the phone to Marty Lipton. Why is the stock price going up bad? Okay. Of course, the stock price isn't bad for him. It's not bad for Uh anybody who owns the stock. It's bad for people who've shorted the stock. But now he's driving the stock. Like he's got control of the situation. He's like a one-man game stonk, GameStop, like Reddit stonk, stonk bro. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He's like a stonk bro now. So so if he <laughs> buys more, you know, then the stock's going to go up and then people are going to think he's taking the thing, you know, he's got buying control and then there'll be that expectation. And so basically he's completely, he is the Twitter equity story right now. One thing you wrote too in your piece that I actually didn't know and people listening to this might not remember, it's that, Elon Musk was not the founder of Tesla. He was an early investor in the company and then took control of it and appointed himself CEO. Which is being generous. <laughs> yes, exactly. He booted, you know, he just like run, ran roughshod over it. Is that possible now for him to do from the outside with Twitter? Sure. Look, I haven't studied their charter. I haven't studied their articles of incorporation. 
Uh, I'm not sure if there's a staggered board or things, you know, I'd have to study the, the defenses. But basically, I mean, at some point, I don't know what that point is, he can uh, wage a proxy fight to get rid of board members. He can, if he owns 51% of the company outright, I mean, he can take over the board. He can fire management. He can put in a, a CEO who'll do what he wants. He can become CEO himself. And I think that could probably happen at around 51%. Again, I, I may not be precisely right because I, I just haven't studied it, but there's no question if he were to buy the whole company, which he clearly could do uh, without spending too much of his own money. I mean, uh, there's certainly a lot of borrowed money that's out available to him to do that, uh, to you know basically take it private. Then you know, obviously, it's his company. He can do what he wants with it. Right. He see he has to be careful what he asks for because if he, you know, one thing he likes now is that there are a lot of users on Twitter. You know, they fight a lot. It's really uh, quite an angry spot to be part of, and it's not very healthy. But if he, you know, quote unquote, takes control of it and people start dropping like flies, then he's going to become the king of nothing. That is what I want to drill down on, too, from our conversation last week is this isn't a wealth creation <laughs> move by Elon Musk. This is a fun plaything for him, right? He's not going to add to his already considerable wealth. Twitter isn't that profitable. It's not like it doesn't print money in any way. This is just a thing he can do because he's a bajillionaire and he's addicted to Twitter, <laughs> This is a thing a guy with $275 billion can do if he wants to. He could have picked on uh, any number of companies. He could have picked on, a, you know, an, an oil company, or he could have, you know, picked on a, some crazy kind of manufacturing company. He picked on Twitter because he likes Twitter. It's a way for him to get attention. He, he could rattle the cage effectively, which he's done. I mean, this is like plays to everything that he's supposedly uh, about. Yeah. But, you know, the risk is that he goes too far and, uh, you know, people leave in droves and that's into Twitter. Yeah. Or he lets Trump back on Twitter. Well, I mean, I think if he did, if he did that, then a lot of people would leave the company Twitter. Maybe if he uh, gets control of Twitter and lets Trump back on, then that, that Trump social or whatever it is, <laughs> they're trying to create, you know, truth social, truth social yeah. would be no longer needed because this would replace it. And so everybody, you know, who uh, likes to fight with the people on, on the right on Twitter would just disappear. And so it would just be, you know, uh, people on the right, you know, talking to themselves. Which is what true social is right now. And I assume that's why it's not doing well. Because all right. of the fun about these social media platforms, especially Twitter, is the negative partisanship and the dopamine burst of getting in a fight with someone or getting engagement because you've triggered people. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and that's why Elon likes it so much. Right. Okay, Bill, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Hopefully by the time we talk next, there won't be more Elon Musk news. Oh, there'll be another chapter. Don't you worry. Okay, all right, all right, fine. We'll do it. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everybody, to The Powers That Be. I am joined now by one of the people who is integral to what we're building here at Puck, Alex Bigler, our VP of Marketing. Alex, this is your first time on the pod. Welcome. Long-time listener, first-time caller, Peter. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> A long-time first-time. That's the first long-time first-time we've had here on <laughs> The Powers That Be. Um, I wanted to have you on because you have some very special insight, just to brands and partnerships at Puck, but... You have the keys to the Fritz inbox. Um, can you tell the listeners what the Fritz inbox is if they're not already constantly emailing the Fritz inbox at Puck? I was going to say, if you're listening to the powers <laughs> of the bee, I hope you already know about the Fritz inbox. So um, again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. What we are trying to build at Puck is a real community and to that end, the only way really to get in touch with all things Puck is by emailing our member concierge, Fritz. Whether it's trouble with your login or I have a message for Peter Hamby, the way <laughs> to get that message across is usually by emailing Fritz. So I do have a particular insight into what our community has been emailing us over the last seven months. So uh, you won't read any of the, the mean emails, but what's a flavor of what we're getting? Like what, what, what are some emails you can share with us, in other words, that tell the audience something about how Puck works? So what I truly love about the Fritz Inbox is that it is an absolute meritocracy in email <laughs> form. It doesn't matter if you are a comedian or the CEO of a bank or you know, a retiree in the middle of the country who like really loves Tina's writing, everybody emails Fritz and they all get the exact same white glove experience. It's very important to us at Puck that everyone has this amazing experience because, you know, we're not trying to reach a million people and have you have this completely nameless, faceless experience. You're trusting us with what you're consuming every day, and, and we want to win your trust by answering your questions and, and taking your feedback. You know, I don't know if you've heard any clever puck use in your time, but Fritz occasionally gets some of those. Um, 
all the way to from to to people who's let's just say when you see their name in the from line, you sit up a little bit and go, oh my gosh, um, saying how much they love what we're doing and and what a big value add we we are to them. So unnamed uh, CEO, super agent, media company CEO, they are emailing the inbox here at Puck. Are, are they complaining about? stories written about them or their companies? Are they complaining about our font? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm at, uh, this is just interesting to me because like this might not be a reason I joined Puck, but something that I've learned since joining Puck is the close relationship we have with our readers and listeners. And I think that's like a healthy way to conduct journalism. I think that we feel the exact same way that you do. I mean, mm-hmm. I joined Puck because I wanted to help build a community of deeply interested, passionate people and not Mm -hmm. just how many eyeballs can we get in front of. And I think the Fritz inbox is a really good vision into that, to be honest. So uh, the last thing I want to ask you is in your informal caucus of reading these emails that are coming to us, who is the most popular Puck journalist? out there. There are no favorites, I will say. <laughs> Honestly, people write in saying that they love everybody's work, the quality of everyone's work. Yeah. A lot of questions about how to stay on Bellany's good side. A lot of question about how Dylan's hair stays the way it does um, all the time. We have the same question, Peter. <laughs> same question. Our subscribers are also very receptive to recommendations, which is great because feedback is a gift. And for the record, I like our fonts. I wasn't raising any any doubts about our font choices in our in our artwork. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Come back soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.